0: Hello and welcome to the Mystic Cast, where you join Jack Stafford and Deborah Littleboy, members of the Aetherius Society, the cosmic religion for the Aquarian age, as we break down the barriers between religion, science, metaphysics, philosophy, and mysticism, all of which are really only aspects of the self-same quest for truth. Please note, this is an independent program, not produced or fact-checked by the Aetherius Society. Today, our guest is Jacob Cooper. Hello, Jacob.
1: Hi, thank you for having me on. How are you doing? We're doing great. Yeah,
0: we're here with Deborah, my co-host.
1: Hi. Uh, where are you? Where are you, Jacob? Where in the world? I ask myself that every day, but but I'm <laughs> but, but but on the planet, you know, I, my residence is currently in New York, uh, right. which some people roll rolled roll their eyes after hearing that, but hopefully during this course of the interview, maybe you could see that there still are some good good people good folks in New York and. Yeah, uh, we have good hearts and we mean we mean well.
0: Yeah. Well, you have a wonderful story. That's what attracted us to you, and uh, lots of parallels between our beliefs of our members, which we uh, we can get into in a bit later. But maybe you could just give us a short introduction, as a, I'm sure you get tired of telling this story. But uh, you can do an autopilot. But maybe you could just give us a little introduction into your story.
1: September of 1993, I had you know, a virus called whipping cough, which for children, infants and adults, you know, could be quite detrimental and in my case, fatal, Um, you know, if left untreated, unvaccinated. um, And so I had whipping cough at the age of just three years old. And at the time I didn't know it. And so I went to a playground with family, friends and, you know, just kind of like any other day, just climbed up into a ladder going onto a slide and I just began to just suffocate, you know, climbing up the slide due to this cough. And it was the most traumatizing moment of my life. I don't want to sugarcoat that aspect because I think with many NDEs, people focus on the mystical euphoric Mm -hmm. sides of it and they don't understand the double-edged phenomenon that it, you know, can entail. Uh, You know, so I was left totally breathless. You're not able to hold on to anything. It's kind of like you feel like you're drowning. You just want something to hold on to. And there was literally nothing for me to hold on to. So I was just put in this place of incubation, of suffering that felt like an eternity where I just wasn't able to breathe. And as a result, all parts of my body just began to shut down because oxygen, you know, keeps us, you know, in our body, you know, without
0: We're it. three years old at this time man.
1: Just, just three years old. Oh. Physically, I mean, we'll get into... Some of the, um, the uh, you know, just the dichotomies the, the are just some of the differences of chronological age and soul age. But uh, chronological age, I was three years old. Um, and all parts of my body and brain just shut down. And the last thing that I felt within my body and my brain was my brain literally snapping in half as if you are plugged into a wall and that plug is just yanked. And I felt a large crack within my brain and as the euphemism says my brain cracked open and that's when god in the spirit realm came in and that literally happened to me in a literal sense not a euphemism a metaphorical way and once that you know transition happened i was able to get out of my own brain and that's when everything opened you know and i was connected to my guides the spirit realm you know angels god i was aware of past lives what i would be doing in this life and more, most importantly, I was, you know, near-death experiencers are often told, hey, it's not your time, you have more stuff to do, or there's reasons for you to continue here, or they're given autonomy as to if they'll stay continuing, you know, this, this life on this earth, or they'll continue the work on the other side. And I was shown a lot of different images and visualizations and premonitions of the work that I would do in this life, and I just was not able to turn that down. And, from that decision from that power of choice you know is why i'm here physically you know and, and that's the beauty of life is decision and we each and every day of our life we have the power to decide our reality what we want to focus on and you can take every freedom away but you cannot take away the freedom of decision of our reality and what we want to focus on and so uh that's the short synopsis of it but certainly you know within my two published books, I get into Life After Breath and the Wisdom Jacobs Ladder. I get into, you know, certainly a lot more detail, you know, of it. Uh,
0: what was that like for your parents? As you know, suddenly they have a three year old trying to ex- I have a one year old and a, he can barely talk, but a three year old can get words out. Like, how was that for your parents, for you at that time? Were you able to articulate that?
1: Well, new death experience research will test to the notion that it takes you know, several decades for any NDE or to really fully integrate and process their experience. But that's even more, ex, you know, increased with a, ch- with a child or an infant. And so for myself, you know, there's two common themes that I have with near-death experiencers that I noticed. It's either they'll shout off at the, at the mountaintops that they had this experience and want to shake everyone and tell them, even children to a degree you know, or it's something so sacred to themselves Mm. that they just don't feel that the English language does justification for what their experience was. And that's the God honest truth to this day. It does not fully, you can't have words to describe the infinite, you know, language is finite. It's meaning it's symbols. It doesn't fully encapsulate the full experience that you have, but it's the best tools that we have here. But I came up to my father, shortly after my experience. And every day, I am learning something new about my experience. This series of events don't change, but my, I guess, awareness of of, of my parents' perceptions of what happened, you know, increase, you know, it, it enhances. But my dad told me that I came up to him and I said, something very uh, powerful happened when I was rushed by the ambulance to the hospital. And I'm using my language now, my vernacular. I didn't say powerful at three years old, but you know something very powerful happened. One day, it will make sense to you. But for right now, it will not. And so I chose to just keep this very much buried deep inside of me for almost two decades. You know, I didn't tell a soul. Uh, oh, no
0: so it wasn't suddenly it you. Were, to... You came back one day and you were like the the golden child. You know, uh, well, a pearl of wisdom.
1: Right. Well. I, you know, people think having near-death experience makes your life so simple and easy, and it was not. I mean, at least for me, I grew up in a home of four kids, and I was by far the most difficult child out of all of them, hands down. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that children could be a little bit like sheep, where you just have to kind of bow down to uh, the cultural programming, and you have to have acceptance of yourself as a child, and all of a sudden, I recognized that I was not a child, but I was experiencing myself as one. And I remembered my eternal soul. And so that led to a lot of complexity and difficulty having radical acceptance of myself as a kid. And I had a lot of defiance against that because the world was seeing myself as just the surface, the tip of the iceberg. And I knew that's not who I was in totality. They just saw my body and that was how they were speaking to me. And so it was just kind of torture where I had this underlying feeling inside but I couldn't express it or articulate it that this is not who I am but you're talking to a body but you're not talking to who I am you know
0: wow yeah I mean we learn from the inner society the higher self and the lower self and that the difference is but it's hard to know who's talking at which time and, to see, and just fully appreciate the higher self so but maybe you tell us a bit more about so when you did have this experience what can you remember about it did it last a long time or sure in your in your frame of reference well,
1: yeah the closest allegory i can have is you ever watch uh c.s lewis's the chronicles of narnia you know mm-hmm. i know many viewers might be familiar with it c.s lewis you know right wrote in kind of allegorical senses of jesus within his works to a degree and had different references and characters but that particular story when they go into the wardrobe and they enter this World of Narnia that felt like an eternity, and they aged there and everything like that. And all of a sudden, they come back from that world and they're in the same clothes um, as if time did not pass. That's pretty much what happened to me, where I felt like I was in this uh, mystical world of eternity. And then all of a sudden, I got back, and the whole world was exactly the same, except I was radically different. And it, it, I, I think the way I could agree to it, it like relate to it, is almost like grief in a way like you lose someone so close to you you're radically changed and it felt like you're an eternity of suffering and yet the whole world is spinning the same way and nothing has changed and so you've made had a radical realization but the world around you is the same and that's kind of how i felt so that was difficulty but you know for us we're used to monday tuesday wednesday the whole you know measurements and and uh just kind of dividing time and it's It's just funny in the spirit realm. It's like taking an ocean and trying to divide an ocean. I mean, or taking air and trying to divide air. I mean, you could technically try, but Mm. does not change the fact that on that reality, there is no time. You know, that's a human construct. You know, it's a construct here, but it doesn't change the ultimate reality that there is no time, which is something that our, our viewers, I'm sure if they're coming from a perception of linear mind, will not understand this takes a non-linear vantage point to understand.
2: Mm.
0: So the term afterlife, how do you feel about that?
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I, I view, well, NDE was coined by a good friend of mine, you know, Dr. Raymond Moody, you know, in the seventies who endorsed my first book, is on the cover. But if you even ask him, he had probably like a different term and he was more of the academic persuasion um, I, I view it as eternal life experiences. You know, that to me is what it is. You're not near death because there is no death. You know, it's, when you recognize, when you have NDEs, you recognize that death is a fiction. You know, it may be true in this reality, but there is no, no real death because the term death just means a complete ending, a complete stoppage, nothing past it. And when you have these experiences, you recognize how much of a, how, how false that is, that there is no ending. You know.
0: I have to go to a funeral tomorrow, and everyone will be pretty upset. And so, what's it like for you when you go to a funeral?
1: I think I still have the same. You know, two things could be true at the same time. I mean, as a kid, after having this, I couldn't understand how someone would cry or get into hysteria when someone <laughs> died. Because I said, "Why are you crying? They're they're fine. They're okay. You know, they're enjoying it." I I, I grieve people who are living while they're not living they're not that they're not living while they're living yeah that to me is more of a death i think life is a matter of choice and how deep you want to experience it uh but but two things could be true at the same time you could have awareness of eternity but you could also have the raw human reaction to it and it's in its natural so i'm not one to bypass grief i think grief is as a mental health worker is is vital and the only way out is through. And it's not to ignore our feelings, our emotions. When there's great love, there's great feelings and sadness and agony, but on the other side of grief could be a newfound meaning, sense of purpose and connectivity you know, to that loved one. So I think it's important to have a balanced perception, but there is a lot of research that points to the fact that having evidential awareness of the afterlife could be a great tool at a certain point to help with one's grief journey. Yeah, that mm-hmm. people who believe in or know that there's an afterlife tend to do better in their grief than those who do not. So, yeah, if anything else, if this is all false or whatever, it could at least help you with that box that you have about where that loved one is and your ability to find not only life after death, but to find life after their death. More mm. important, that's the uh, important part.
0: So can I ask you about the technicalities of it? because? Before I from my own background I came from more of a Buddhist background that you die, you go you, or or a Christian even you die and you go to a, a heaven and then a hell or a nirvana and then then I understood about reincarnation, you come back, so then you go there and come back and it's, it's the spirit world. And now through the terms of the the teachings of the Ethereum society, I understand there's different levels in the that each chakra is a realm of consciousness and you go to a higher vibration or a lower vibration does that chime with your own experience? Do you, because when I see the term spirit world, it's kind of a bit all-encompassing, and I kind of think of spirits, these bubbles floating around, whereas from the teachings, it's that on the other realms, there's there's fax machines, there's there's cars, there's printers, it's physical, there's another realm, just like this one, but a, a different vibration.
1: I could always speak from my own experience that I was just in the pure light realm. I didn't, are you hell. one of the yeah. one of the hot,
0: hot, top people then?
1: Yeah, the yeah. I, you know for for myself I go by the experiential reality, but also I could speak to what feels right and you know rings true is that um I think hell is very much a human term, a human construct. You know, it it has the notion that God is unconditional and condemns Um, You know, I think that's very much a human thing, at least for me, when I experienced God, it was eternal awareness and forgiveness and understanding. And it was a, a big energy of unconditional love. But the spark within ourselves is from that same source. So we are all divine sparks. And so I think really, what kind of creator will kick down their own creations if they're struggling? And I think when people cause damage, it's often from a place of Pain. I mean, hurt people will hurt people. Mm. So my hope is within time there's ability or evolution of every spirit, you know, and every part of the body to find healing. You know, much like within the human body, there's certain parts that just are cancerous, aren't working. And I think on the you know global universal level, there's some souls who are. um, I think the closest term, the closest understanding to, to hell to me is just a distance from yeah. essence and, and a separation that's a beautiful
0: way to describe um, it yeah
1: from that because that to me is hell right? it's 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 a disalignment with one's true essence and yeah the pain of the world has overtaken your mind and your soul instead of instead of your soul overtaking this world yeah
0: i understand that. there's also like in a city you have different you have the slums and you have the Wall streets and people. streets People go to the, some people want to go out at night to nightclubs and some people like the fresh early mornings. So in the same people, you gravitate to people with different vibrations and, and different, and it's the same, I guess, in the spirit world that you wouldn't, you send, yeah. a, you send a, a, a certain person to a, to a, you know, an angelic place with the cathedral, they'd be pretty bored, you know, and then they need the certain experiences of uh, what we would term darkness, but it is right. not punishment. It's just the realm of just deserts.
1: Yeah, well, I I think you're, everyone has their own bliss, you know, and what they really connect to on a higher level. Uh, but to me, the afterlife is very much about this life. I think what we do in this life, not fully, but there's a part of what we do, what we like, what we're interested in, our passions, you know, that could have, you know, continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, How I know this is, you know, through uh, years of, you know, just doing my own research work and evidential mediumship, it's like. You know, mm-hmm. some of my loved ones, they'll come through undeniably with some of their passions and activities that they still continue to do, you know, over there. So I think the things that we love to do in this life, we continue, you know, and so it's like you want to have a great heaven, have an interesting life, you know, because that's going to increase your eternity, develop interest, develop, um, you know, meaning and and experiences of this life, because that's going to make a more interesting story. And. I think there's a quote by the Holocaust survivor, Eli Wiesel, that God made us because God loves stories. And we want an interesting story with depth and beauty and experiences and growth. And we're all just, you know, just writing God's stories here with the lives that we live and what we experience. Uh, Could be at so many different levels of the pendulum um, of life, but we all have the ability, you know, to transform and transcend, you know, difficult moments of our life to triumph you know, in growth. But I think there's a degree of what we carry over in this lifetime, but also other lifetimes too. I, I think this isn't all that there is and we're accumulation of not just this lifetime, but, you know, all of our lifetimes, it just kind of adds up to to one experience.
0: Mm. I wanted to bring in Deborah because she's she always had so many interesting observations. And yeah, I, I can feel
1: all about the wood burning over there. She's a lot going on. Ha, ha, ha,
0: ha, ha. That's a great way to describe it. She's got the fire.
1: Run
2: Run I'm afraid I've got a lot of background noise today, so for that, I apologize. Um, Picking up on what you were saying um, with what we, we were taught, our taught by Dr. King, is that when he went into the higher states of consciousness and into somatic trance, which is oneness with all, he said come back was the most painful experience mm. because he didn't one, he couldn't express it, but two, he didn't want to. There was something yes. within him was it was too sacred to speak about. And so when I heard when you were saying that, you kept it, you know, it, it was it was a sacred thing. And what did you do with that? And you your coping strategy was to hold it within yourself thinking about it for two decades or, or whatever, and then you come forward with what what you the sense you'd made of that however long it was that that you that you weren't in this in this physical realm. And so for me the, that that similarity was was fabulous. The other thing that you that you said about the the life after life after life and the separation that we have from God is our hell, mm. is very much in line with what we're taught on um, karma and, and reincarnation. It, it is a case we're falling away so that we could see what it was like to come back. Mm. And so that that experience is... Um, if if more people could understand that what they that what they're bringing into their life is what they're bringing into their life, and they're not the victims of that. I think that the the whole of the the world energy would certainly have sort of a, a would shift because because you'd have this other viewpoint they like your worst enemy if you want to as your greatest teacher because you need to, you want to have that experience or you need that experience to balance balance things up um. So yeah, listening to you is a, is a joy. Um, okay. actually. Well, thank you, thank you very much. And I, you know, I tend to talk too much, so I'm going to back out and let
1: um, <laughs> let you. know. no, no those, those are like, those are great insights. I think the last piece that I wanted to to deliver is how I was able to get out publicly with this. You know, and when you know, how did that happen? It was really through reading another book. On an NDE encounter that was gifted to me by a family friend of mine, you know, actually my godmother, and the book was by Betty 80 you know, who was, um, you know, featured on the Oprah Winfrey Show, New York Times bestseller, and she wrote the book Embraced by the Light, which was you know a groundbreaking NDE encounter for its time. Now it's you know everyone's talking about NDEs, but you know in the 80s and 90s, you know, before that, it wasn't as um, much of a household term. Uh, So reading Betty's story just gave a lot of universality, but more importantly, a label for it. And that works in conjunction with the work that I do in the mental health field, where I think to a degree, if you can name it, you could tame it. And I think once you're able to identify what you have, it becomes a commodity, becomes a thing, and it leads to more universality to it. Um, and something that you could identify. The human part needs that. Uh, But also it gave me the the confidence and courage to be able to talk about this. Other people not only had these things because I thought I was the only one, but that um you know people are actually interested in this stuff. And so I was always wanting to speak about all kinds of things. I kind of wanted to be like a young, like Tony Robbins or Eckhart Tolle. And I was like reading all these books and stuff like that and thinking I was on doing, gonna go on a podium talking about all these things. But Recognizing, oh, geez, I had this thing sing my own backyard, and that's something to talk about. That's something that people will benefit from, and so that's true in life. Sometimes we walk a thousand miles away from our own truth, and we own what's in our own backyard. You know, it's glorious for others to experience. You don't have to uh, totally metamorphosize or change in order to really have people benefit from our light. You know,
0: mm. but you've trod your own path, as a, and you're in service to others. As a as a healer, as a, as a therapist, and do you see now the importance of why we forget the our past lives in the spirit world? Because if if we had to walk around in this, right, with a with a full memory of it, we would be hard to get through the day, no?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you, we're here to have a human experience, right? So if you're able to have all that awareness at all times, you, you're over there more than here, so. I think it's important that two things could be true at the same time, that you could be a spiritual being and still human as well, too. And that's what we are temporarily in this life. We're not permanently human, but in this reality, you cannot deny that. And so how do you want to perceive that? Do you want to ignore, you know, finances or food or your passions? You can, you know, you could have deprivation of all those things, or you could have a full an experience of those things, but not be enslaved by them. Just doing it for the nourishment of your soul, not for addictive patterns or for the ego, but rather, you know, the nourishment of your soul.
0: Yeah. Then you approach everything. Like, oh, this is my lesson for the day. Oh, I've got to do my taxes. So interesting. I get to, and you get the experience that you need to learn the lesson put in front right. of you. And yeah, it makes life much takes the stress away.
1: Yeah. Well, what I try to do is to, is within my clients and myself is to make life your kind of ashram or your monastery where everything becomes a sacred and holy act and everything could have mindfulness and presence, even the most difficult mundane things. And that way you get the power back. You don't get drawn out by these things. You're able to have your sense of being in whatever you're doing. I think our soul wants to experience and express itself, whatever it is. And, you know, if you could have it through the most mundane things, if it's having like a positive attitude towards it or. Being present with it and just the experiencer of it—it's—it's it's a whole different ballgame. So I think most of reality has to do with the vantage point that we experience it as, and the just the foundation of what we're looking at life is it through the wise mind or the victim mind. You know, where's our foundation? Where's our basis mm-hmm. through the experience of life? And that to me is is gravitation towards the God lens versus being pulled away from that, where you're looking at things through essence and beauty and seeing past the surface. When you're connected, the whole world around you really shifts and changes in great degrees.
0: Yeah. Deborah mentioned the, the love energy, which is something we talk about, love being a physical thing. That's part of the teachings of the Ethereum Society. Um, yeah, yeah. Love is the universal answer, isn't
1: that right, Deborah? Yeah, because whatever we have towards another, we feel ourselves, right? You judge yeah. another, you judge yourself. You hate another, you feel hatred yourself. But you love someone else you feel love yourself. And that's what oneness is. Oneness is not just us, you know, one day holding hands and kumbaya, you know, oneness is the eternal reality of, of life itself. And it's finding ways for us to get past some of the surface uh, difference, you know, differences and and factors. Um, you know, oneness does not mean sameness. And I think if people are able to look past the surface, they could see the one phyla that we're all connected to. Now, it doesn't mean to not have boundaries or stuff like that. You got to, you know, protect yourself. Sure, because some people would rather cause more ill will, you know, than than healing. And for them, that's a comfort zone. That's the devil that they know, you know, in a way. So, uh, I think surround yourself with those that really believe in you, uplift you, and that you feel um, inspired by. Versus those that just want to bring you down. You know, it, just yeah. having boundaries for yourself is important too.
2: Can I, can I just come in on, on this subject of love? Because love is one of the biggest things in the teachings that, well, the biggest thing in the teachings that, that affected me. We're, we're taught that, it, that love is an energy, it is not an emotion. And so, therefore, um, when people say that they most, if I love you, I love this, I love that, it's something that they like. Very much, it's driven by the emotion of it, and so it so it can easily turn on its head if if suddenly the subject of the love does something that they that isn't lovable, right. then then love changes. Well, that we're told that isn't love at all. We're told that at the very lowest octave, right. the opposite of love the, is hate, and so at the, so so if you like, at the very very lowest. That, that's the energy of love. But there are several octaves of it. And when you when you channel, the more pure that you channel it, it's actually universal energy. Right. And so we in the society bring, we're taught to use this robot, which is our body, to bring in the universal life force and send it out through the palms of our hands and our heart chakra. It's a physical thing. It's not some sort of wishy-washy thing. You feel it. People feel it differently. I feel it like a, like a tingling in, 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 the, in my hands, but I feel it. It's going out. My heart expands, and I feel it going out. And so my mind then directs that energy to wherever I... So point A being Deborah, point B being Jacob. I send you love energy. That balances you, mm. and the purer I can bring it down, the more you will be able to within to absorb it, or the more and you, you, and you, you can open to You love
0: someone without actually liking them.
2: <laughs> mm. Wow! wow. So the so that for me was like the one of the biggest things. So when you when you were speaking about we're all love, is that something that you resonate with the the. The, that it can be an impersonal thing, so you can send love to a situation that you actually dislike intensely.
1: Right. Well, I think if you chip away, we all are from that same source. So, you know, it's, it's I think, on the human level, that's something we, we could certainly experience. But when you're connected to the soul, you know, you connect to that oneness. So on the human part, there's unconditional liking or loving, but in the soul, when you connect to love of the soul, on the soul level, that is completely unconditional, you know? So it takes away the ego and the expectations and the judgments. So and I think it's more so love on the soul level. But I think the Greeks were onto something when they discussed the different levels that love has. I mean, it's one word, but there's so many different levels. And I think we have to get into just differentiation of conditional versus unconditional. Um, there are parts of my life when I You know, years later, I had an out-of-body experience that I speak of in my book. I just, for years, I was like hearing about we are one, all this stuff. But then once you have direct experience of something, it's a whole different ballgame than just the information. And I had a, a, a direct awareness of this one strand of energy that we all are connected to, but not everyone is tuned into, you know. You could not, you could think that you're not something, but that doesn't change the reality. So there's, most people are just blocked in over here in their own egos and personalities and focusing on the me and they're not Mm -hmm. connected to the feeling and the oneness. They're very much in separation. And so when you say what's hell, closest thing to hell is separation. The closest thing to unity is connectivity. You know, heaven to me is connectivity to all of life itself and the eternal eterni- life itself without separation.
0: Well, the one energy, that's, uh, that's shivering yeah, up my spine yeah. when you said that. Yeah, because just before we came on, Deborah had found a, uh, a transmission that was the Dr. King brought through from the masters from Saturn. And uh, wow. very
1: interesting related to that. And I think yeah. for people just to experience and play with it, like try to focus just on yourself and then you'll find things to pick apart and judge through your own filter, and then try to say, get out of yourself and try to focus on something, you know, a beautiful thing in someone, even though you don't like them, try to see the essence and try to kind of play with the lens that you're looking at life. And as Wayne Dyer says, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. And I think it's important for us to play with just different ways of looking at life. And this planet could feel like a whole different uh, just to read, if we're able to do that. And how do your patients um, generally
2: re- react to you when you're showing the, or the knowing of the oneness to them? In, I mean, obviously everybody's different, but how how would you, when you've actually tuned in and you're looking at somebody that actually is is uh, on the surface really quite bent out of shape. And you're looking, and you're you're looking for the divine essence, which you know is there. Do when you, is there a connection point where they they sort of get it? I guess I'm talking about
1: trust building. Um, Right. Well, I mean, there was a part of me for a period of time that just wanted to live, you know, in a monastery, right? I just wanted to be a Buddhist monk for a period of time, and. I think being a therapist, in a way, has trickles of being a mom, if you do it the right way. You know, by that, you're acting in mindfulness, you're actively listening, you're in non-judgment, you know, you're looking up at things and not down at things, you're trying to understand, which takes yourself under someone and looks up at their world. So, you know, it's a very kind of holy act. I don't get too involved in the just kind of clinical aspect of it, because that takes away the spirituality of it. I'm more in therapy. What's infiltrated itself is a lot of Eastern philosoph- you know, philosophical ideologies, which has been great. You know, mindfulness is very much accepted and that's infiltrated itself into a practice called, you know, dialectical behavioral therapy, which, you know, works, you know, with a lot of different personality disorders and mood dysregulation. Cognitive behavioral therapy again change your thoughts, change your reality. So, a lot of principles from Eastern philosophies and Alcoholics Anonymous has, you know, infiltrated itself into therapy today. Uh, but for myself, it's about the energy. It's not so much what I say, but the energy that I embody. You know, because person A and person B could say the same exact things, but there's incongruency with that person's words, or the energy isn't right you know, they're not going to latch on to it. But if person B has congruency with the words that they say or just energy that they have, people, you know, are intuitive and it gravitates energy, not so much information, you know. Brilliant. Thank you.
0: That's something you've said twice in the interview, that uh, the separation is suffering. And really something I should really take into the silence because we have another, the masters have said, ignorance is the only crime. And... If it's it ignorance of leads to suffering, but it's ignorance of the divine and the because the, if everything is right. the divine aspect of God, then you should be living in bliss.
1: <laughs> right. Well, not only does separation um, it means suffering, but separation causes suffering too in humanity. You know, you wouldn't kill ten million people in the Holocaust if you understood that each person wasn't outside yourself, but was yourself right? You know, that would be self-sabotational, self-harm. Um, so, I think if people recognize that others are not outside of them, but a part of themselves, how could you ever hurt a thing, you know? Um, so, it gets tricky with, you know, eating certain foods and stuff like that, so other can of worms and stuff like that. But really, you wouldn't intend to have pain. You would bless all things. Um, you wouldn't cause or like pain because that, is basically, you know, hurting yourself, you would recognize, you know.
0: Some people do that, though, self-harm. Some, some people are some
1: of and I deal with that all day, you know. It's, um, you know, with certain personality disorders, they particularly borderline personality disorders, more susceptibility for self-harm behavior because it's cathartic to them, to a degree. They have so much pain, they have no idea what to do with it. So for them, that's their outlet. So as a therapist, we try to work on sublimation, which is taking that, intention towards a healthy outlet instead of inflicting pain on yourself and finding healthy coping strategies and coping skills that are not you know harmful you know Mm -hmm. and learning how to deal with that emotional intensity when it comes up yeah
0: yeah you just have to say the same thing to different people in different ways there's only this one truth yeah
1: yeah
2: Yeah. but the love energy is the same and that's that that's your identifier for it when you're when you're as you say, opening yourself to the oneness and looking at them from raising them so you're, you, you're actually raising them as opposed to looking down. I think that is, 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 yeah, a really nice way of, well, not nice, it's a great way of, of, of <laughs> describing the, how to lift people up, right. how to, how to um, affirm them as being um, a soul being. That's, right. that's
1: Yeah. And, you know, not all people, some people, personality disorders will take advantage of this and use this against you. But I've noticed when someone is very distressed and you are just an energy of a calming bomb to them, you know, they all of a sudden change and shift from being in your presence. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so I find just kind of like witnessing that when someone comes through all this distressing stuff in my energy is connected, they feel that. And there's a healing that takes place and so what we resist persists but with people are able to open themselves to other you know states of energy and consciousness you know it, amazing things could, could really occur and they'll say geez what happened what was that you know and they'll start to explore and get them on a journey that life does not have to be just this way that i could have different channels of my existence to really connect to Yeah,
0: you, know. you must feel responsibility you have to keep yourself in shape you look yeah. good, you are yeah. clean-shaven, you're, you're... I,
1: I run almost fun. every day. Yeah. I try to meditate, yoga. Yeah. Uh, the last couple of days I've been on vacation, so I'm a little bit bloated and out of shape right now, but I'll well, I'll get the, back into
0: it. <laughs> you look in great shape to I me. Mean, look at us. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> no, that's a responsibility, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Mm.
1: I think what's ignored in the New Age community or a spiritual community is how important self-care is you know people will ignore all these things that can have so much enhancement on your path you know exercise diet you know just going out and moving all these things could really accelerate your energy your vibration your vitality you know and so I've noticed a little bit more some of the new age teachers like I think I've seen Eckhart Tolle like riding on a bike a little bit and you know doing his thing and Dalai Lama I've seen you know working out too so I couldn't stress enough from just a spiritual mental health perspective, how vital it is, self-care, just these simple steps that we could do that could really just enhance our lives. Because if you think about it, yes, we're spiritual, but we're also bio-neurochemical in this body. And if you're doing doing proven steps to proper brain health and physical health, your life is going to transform. You know, you're taking care of your temple. So I'm a big proponent of brain health and body health. We, we do a lot of prayer and mantra and pranayama, and uh, you know. But also, but... can
2: I just step in, Jack? Um, there is a, a fabulous um, lecture where Dr. King says that aerobic, um, aerobic exercise is vital, and in fact, he made it a condition for his staff members to actually do physical exercise. Now bear in mind we're we're going back this is like fifties so so it's it's a it's a different thing and he, he he had an army um an army fitness guru that he'd taken on board to to give some ideas on the physiology of of how to keep fit within so many minutes or you know so so that he could keep his his staff and personnel up you know up to speed um in their, in their physical body, body as well as all their other bodies. Um, and I remember reading this lecture now, I'm in my mid-sixties, and was fit once, but n- n- never, no more, yeah. And so I listened to this whole lecture and I'm thinking, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. And then, then I got the get out clause. He said that ladies over the age of 29, though I definitely qualified, Shouldn't go at things too tough because their body wouldn't cope with it as well. Now, mm. that was my my get you know if you like you know how you can twist things just to right. suit your own. Um, <laughs> well, I didn't really kid myself, but I I'm, I must have listened to that lecture seven years ago now, and every time I go out to exercise, something isn't I you know you're a lot more than 29 years mm. old, Debbie, You're more than double that. You must take it easy. So this is self this is some self-sabotage and some kiddery that certainly goes in with me. Um and by you saying that, it's just if you like giving me another little prick in the arm that um sure. <laughs> I need well, yeah. I need to exercise my heart, if I want to do best work in this world, to look after the physical
1: body a bit more than yeah. than I I do. So thank you, everyone. It's important how you see yourself. I mean, I used to be incredibly overweight as a kid, and I saw myself as that. But once I just tried to play with it or try to like wear a different hat and start to see myself. I'm an I'm an athlete. I'm fit. I'm that. And from that identity, and you look great. But, you know, but from that identity, I was able to really play that role. I think everyone has an inner athlete in them and their own level of that and their own ability to stretch that, you know, and whatever your level is, just kind of know your bounds. But I think everyone has an inner athlete and life is a marathon. So, you know, you want to go at your own pace. You don't want to, people ask me, why don't you run marathons? You're a runner. And I say, you know, I don't want to abuse my body just for, you know, if it's for a cause, maybe, but you know, you want to stretch yourself a little bit, but not to where you're not going to be able to move again. You want to have a body for a long haul. So I like when Mr. Rogers did, he was, uh, Mr. Rogers would, was an avid swimmer, right? He would do almost 72 laps a day, which was a mile. And swimming is one of the greatest exercises for longevity. And as the least wear and tear your body, and it's just great to be in that water energy. So, but again, just kind of knowing your engine and just kind of knowing What could I have that kind of fitness in my life? You know, what could I do at any level? You know, even if you're wheelchair bound, you could still do some breathing exercises, maybe some tapping, stretching your arms a little bit, you know? So I think everyone, you know, for the most part, can have some degree of movement that they can incorporate intentionally. You
0: know, we've gone off love now. We're talking about loving myself. It's all still one subject. It's one energy. So we have so much of it and we should, yeah, we want to go. We're in for the long haul. So yeah, these are these are our robots' bodies. We have to keep them in shape. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Amen. So we're almost almost to the end here, but um, it's been such a fascinating conversation. And um, maybe we just circle back to the to the original focus of the conversation about the afterlife, and um, you know, the transformative encounters that you've had. Uh, you know, is there is there something you want to leave people with, or um...
1: sure. Well, I my hope is people enjoyed our conversation today. I mean, the, my second book is The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder. And I had that because biblical Jacob had a, not a near-death experience, but a near-death experience because his brother Esau was kind of chasing him after getting the covenant from his father Isaac, and he was trying to like get hurt him or, or kill him. But he had a dream with death kind of facing him in the face and seeing angels going up and down the ladder, um, you know. It, and so for me, that was the play on words that I had mm-hmm. where I was just a little boy on a ladder and I had this near-death experience. So God works in a very humorous and symbolic <laughs> kind of way. You know, There's a lot of uh, synchronicities if you sit closely enough, but my near-death experience occurred in a playground and out of all things. And I was just a child And people say, you're a child, how can you remember this? And I could say I'm a child. And I remember that we're all children in God's playgrounds. We're all Our brothers and sisters keeper. And I had this near-death experience, you know, in this eternal kingdom of God's playground. And the reminder that we're all just playing in God's playground. We have to remind ourselves that. And there's a one-way ticket, you know, back there. For me, I had a little stopover from my near-death experience, but uh, this life is not forever. We go back from where we came, but the key is, is is to remember who you are. I think you become who you are by remembering who you are. When you remember who you are, you can really morph into it. And rem- remembering is your core essence, you know, your core truth as this expansive, eternal, magnificent being. But somewhere down the line, you know, we've told we're not good enough, we're not this, we're not that. So that gets confused hmm. with the ultimate reality, you know. Some, sometimes, you know, we have to understand that Someone did not make us, but they try to break us. Does not make sense, right? You know. So if they didn't make you, how could they break you? You know, God was the one who made us. So I need to Got write here. down
0: some of these quotes you're coming up with. These are great. you really, uh, you should have printed them on coffee mugs or T-shirts because uh, <laughs> you get the books, well, books as well. You. But you need a merch. I think you need a merch item. Merch, That's yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Some of these quotes, pull them out, put a <laughs> highlight them.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Hashtag, yeah, yeah. No, but you've obviously. Uh, do you ever remember, like, karmically, why you had to have this experience as a three-year-old? Did you get any insights into that?
1: I don't, I mean, I don't know exactly, but just for me, it made sense because I had in my last lifetime, I, I don't use the word commit when it comes to suicide because that criminalizes mental health. You, you know, you don't commit a heart attack. You don't commit brain, you know, cancer. You don't commit something physically. So I don't look at mental health any differently. Um, but you know, then that and suicide is not just mental health. Some people have physical conditions or traumas and it's not all just that. So I, completed suicide in my last lifetime. And I just remembered in that last lifetime, my back was against the wall. There was no hope. And I just was not able to let go of pain. In my new death experience, I was in a similar sensation, a similar situation when I was suffocated. And from letting go of my own just suffocation, I was able to surrender to the breath of eternity. And within this life, in this world, we're taught that surrender is giving up but surrender is really giving into our infinite power it's not a weakness it's 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 giving into our ultimate powers the power of letting go is so vital because you know we become a lot weaker when we just hold on to everything our strength really lies in our ability to be untethered and unencumbered the ability to let go to a greater force within all of us that saved my life yeah
0: that's beautiful that's i'm gonna sort of listen back to this interview because uh You've had so much, so many interesting insights. And uh, thank you so much. Well, how can people get a hold of you, get your book?
1: Well, it's not like where is Waldo? We're trying to find Waldo and you're looking for that. I am I'm, I'm I'm able to be found. Um, it's it's uh jacobalcooper.com is my website. And you know, people could contact me for services or potential events, speaking engagements, book signings. Um gonna be presenting at the Edgar Casey. Association of Research of Enlightenment, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend okay. in Virginia Beach. So I'm familiar with Edgar Cayce, he was uh, you know, international, you know, medical intuitive and really groundbreaking for the early 1900s and stuff like that. And so it's my second time going back there. So I like to do different events and hopefully more international stuff because I'm kind of getting bored of the US and I want to venture out to yeah, other, yeah. meet other people and different backgrounds. That's what it's about. I mean, I love living in New York for that reason. It's a melting pot of all cultures. Mm-hmm. Where I live, it's not as much, but you go towards the city. It's just a mixture of that, and that's how life should be. You should be interested and curious with others' stories and backgrounds, not just holding on to your own stuff and everyone else's other, you know? So mm.
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, did I forget anything, Deborah?
1: Say that again? Okay. Uh-oh. No, it was to me. You
2: probably did, Jack, but I've I've just been too mesmerized with with <laughs> listening to Jake. But so I don't know. I think that you've done a perfect job, both of you. Oh thank
1: you. you. All done very well. I, I want to be very nice to clear it. though in- that uh, it's spirit who comes through me. I, I'm just I'm just a guy in an orange t shirt, you know. That's that's spirit. That's you know, and and that's what people need to remember. Sometimes we put people on pedestals with big social media followings or bestsellers, and you know, spirit is one that's doing this work. We're just the messengers. That don't thank me, thank spirit. You know, I'm just a dude. You know, that's, that's a beautiful true. note.
0: It's a beautiful note to end on. And uh, if people are interested in the Aetherius Society, they can also go to the website. Um, all sh- all links are in the show notes. So thanks again, Jacob.
1: This is a wonderful dialogue. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you, Jack. And thank you for the good work you're doing. The world needs love. It really does. Yeah, it really needs awareness. We need love and you're doing the good work. Thank you. Amen.
0: Goodbye.
2: Bye.